Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. And welcome to, you know what? I meant to look at what episode this is. Is this 19? I think no. it's 19. Is it 20? God. What? You hear I was like, we're going to start strong. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> and then I can never even remember which one we're on. We've done 19. This is 20. I had to look it up. Worst podcast ever. <laughs> that didn't God. take long at all. Uh, podcast 20. 20. We could have done something like, you know, XX episode, like really played up the Roman numerals and did a big celebration. We could oh, now have I feel bad. Wasted. Another week opening to our podcast. <laughs> Jesus. One day Ugh. we'll have a strong opening. I don't even know what yeah. that sounds like. <laughs> but uh, So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's kind of soggy here in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, and I, I just got back. The reason why I had to start the podcast a little later than I expected is that I ran out to look at um, a house that my wife found online and was really interested in. Uh, and it just got listed, and so we might go take a look at it tomorrow. Excellent. So, yeah, I'm doing all sorts of fun domestic things. Uh, not much in the way of catching up on GDC or playing games, um, except for what we're about to talk about. Um, you want to let so, us know the address of this house on the podcast? No, no I'm actually, joking. I don't I'm even joking. remember. It. I'm joking. <laughs> It's by the sea, though. It's very nice. Turns out you dox yourself. Um, <laughs> yes, and I, I, for one, am still recovering from GDC. It was an absolute whirlwind, and I don't think I've slept yet. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know if you've heard anything about it, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. No, I've seen plenty of it on my wall. I was very jealous of everybody who went out there, but mostly for their... Um, their party pictures, <laughs> right? More than their, uh, you know, summations of the talks or whatever. It, but always to see people get reunited, you know, because you know how people they move from studio to studio or team mm-hmm. to team, and then once a year at GDC, everybody can use those three to four days to catch up with everybody else, and so it's it's really fun to see all those photos. And that's like, when oh, you realize, man, yeah, the game. That's when you realize yeah. just how incestuous this uh, industry is. Yeah, everyone works with everyone else. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. You know, I didn't get to go really to any parties this year. It was just all all work. I uh, I always mean to like do parties and be social. And I always like, I'm going to uh, tweet this and that. And I start strong. <laughs> and then by like the first day, by Wednesday, I like I've stopped using Twitter. And uh, I'm just, you know, just heads down in meetings and stuff like that. And uh-huh. I don't get to do anything fun. But it's still somehow managed to be just a really awesome event every single year. Yeah, it's, it's great that the industry has... Um an event specifically about development itself, less about the products, mm-hmm. um, and in such a great city as San Francisco every single year. So that's pretty cool. I'd, hopefully everyone who have, who listens has had a chance to go to one or at least uh, dives into the GDC vault to um, take a look at the materials that they provide Um which they do after a, like like a delay unless you subscribe to it, right? Right. It yeah. yeah. Well, they. Um. I mean, the videos and stuff come out later, but there's all the tweets and social stuff and everything. And, um. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. It's certainly worth attending, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. But you know, highlight for me wasn't even a GDC specific thing. Um. It was the Unity keynote, which we our our personal keynote we do on Tuesday before GDC starts proper, and the reason that was such a big deal, well, two reasons. One, because demos that I made were on uh, presented on stage at the keynote, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the person presenting Lucas Myers referred to uh, my demos as his favorite, and I was like, yes, and screen <laughs> screen nice. capped, recorded the video, immortalized forever. But more importantly, <laughs> the original 
green slash white Power Ranger was there on stage <laughs> really? uh, because uh, apparently they're making a, a Power Rangers video game for the new movie. Mm-hmm. And to promote it, they brought uh, the new Black Ranger, uh, which I, his name escapes me. Um, and, you know, Tommy, the original green white Ranger on stage, they demoed the game on stage. But afterwards, I got to go meet him and get my picture taken with him. And uh, that was life affirming, I would say. I think that's an appropriate term, life affirming. Yeah. Uh, to give our audience uh, context here. So I have spent time at Mike's house uh, when it's just adults in the room. And Mike has said, hey, let's watch Power Dude, Rangers. I love the Power Rangers. With, with, without any... A sense of self-consciousness or irony. He just wants to watch the Power Rangers. (laughs) Giant robots versus giant monsters. I don't understand what is not to love about that. There's kung fu. There's drama. There's flashy, super awesome visual effects. You're trying to explain to me how, like, see this villain? She's, like, always... I don't can't even remember, but you're trying to somehow describe these uh, characters in uh, a way dude. that would make me like, you know what? I buy it. These costumes, those characters, I'm into this fiction. This is real. I was, was like, describing what? to you 2007's Power Rangers Mystic Force is what it was because that okay. that that, that uh, series is still pretty hardcore. But okay. uh, but I work with another guy uh, who, do, uh, who is a huge Power Rangers fan as well. And luckily, I'm heading out to San Francisco again uh, and I'll be in town for the the opening night of this new Power Rangers movie, and we're going to go together, and we're we're like super stoked. We're already planning and everything. But uh, I can see you. Are you going to squeeze yourself <laughs> into a into a costume? I you know I thought about it, but uh, but no, getting a costume there or somehow flying with it doesn't seem really worth it. But uh, uh, still, it would totally be worth it to see a photo of that. <laughs> you could be the Neutron guy. I could be. I appreciate that image. Thank you for, for that. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, just if it's some really crappy homemade, like, uh, like a, what is that, a, a wrapping paper roll as my sword or whatever, yeah, or Saba. But uh, no, yeah, so that was that was definitely the highlight of my GDC. And then, you know, obviously uh, Thursday night, people waiting in line for the new Nintendo Switch was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a Switch at our booth and stuff like that to play around with. I had to wait until I got home Saturday to get mine, but uh, it's been quite enjoyable. I don't know if you've looked at it at all. Well, all I've seen were a few um, people on my wall uh, really complaining about some of their issues they're having with their switches. Oh, yeah? Like um, what? Yeah. Um, I think there are a number of um, small hardware issues that can mm. uh, cause yours to fail. Um, oh, and the I left think controller even... one. I did hear about that. Yeah. And um, like things like disconnects and other other kinds of things that make uh, playing, uh, you know, in the various different modes, like, you know, attach, detach, the, you know, the TV play mode mm-hmm. and all that stuff, like making it more cumbersome than it needed to be. Um but that Zelda is the is the greatest thing that Nintendo has ever. It's made. really good. It's really really good. I gotta say though, the only thing that really bugs me about it, uh, the mm-hmm. Zelda game anyway, is that uh, so your weapons have durability now and they break, and mm-hmm. uh, but they break so easy. It was like it's like <laughs> six or seven hits, it's gone. Uh-huh. Like this was a steel sword. Now it's it's broken. <laughs> right. You know, like my boomerang has durability. Right, like uh, the, your bow, your bow breaks, and it's like, mm-hmm. what bow ever broke after ten arrows? 
<laughs> like, who is making these bows? It, it's the point where if I get an awesome sword, I never use it because I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to break right. it. Right, right. Yeah. And, and now there's, it's added to this level of anxiety. Exactly. I don't want to manage like, my inventory. This is Zelda, right? I want to solve puzzles yeah. and run around. I mean, there's uh-huh. cool cooking and stuff like that. That's pretty awesome. But just the durability of of items, weapons, just I'm waiting until I get the Master Sword and it breaks after 10 hits. And it's <laughs> right. like, well, like, no huh, more Master Sword. I use my Master Sword to break pots looking for treasure and <laughs> yeah i mean that that no, definitely affects the, the durability boss. now and stuff it's crazy <laughs> but uh yeah anyway i mean it, but it's cool my big problem with the switch my only problem with the switch really because they 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 put so many ways to play sort of into it the joy controllers the joy cons they're all right they're not mm-hmm. super right. ergonomic or whatever but my big problem with it really is that there's all these little attachments mm-hmm. that when you're not using them have no place to live yeah, yeah. Right? And, like, so and, like, and with in a house of little kids, that means they get lost. Exactly. So if you're like using this, uh, the Joy-Cons, as they call them, separate, mm-hmm. you know, there's these end caps. But if you're not, then where do the end caps go? There's no, mm-hmm. you know, storage or right. anything like that. Right. And that, that's kind of annoying. But, uh, you know, but so far, I mean, it's been neat. Uh, they're just, they're, they're, they put a lot of little bells and whistle ways to play and stuff like that. I've never, I haven't played it as a tablet as a portable gaming system yet, which is mostly just on my TV, but uh, so far fairly enjoyable. It's Where'd you pick neat. yours up, by the way? Because I'm seeing people complain about like having to scramble and get friends to help them find so, one. So, yeah. So I didn't have a pre-order. I was going to just go to a midnight release, which they don't have those anymore, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go for that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I was lamenting uh, my lack of planning online. And someone on Twitter was like, hey, uh, I've got one. And uh, they had an extra pre-order and they sold it to me. And then I had it uh, launch day. So not uh, not too bad. So social media, man, I tell you what. Yeah. For anyone who's like, well, I'm not on Twitter. Well, I guess you don't have a switch then because that's <laughs> yeah. that's how you do it. Yeah, I had people on Facebook saying like, oh, go to the Amazon uh, bookstore because here in Seattle, if Amazon is based out of Seattle. They actually have a physical store right. that you can go to and they, they had plenty of supply there for a little while. So that's, that's cool. people want to get them. You can also check like nowinstock.com. It'll email alert you when things are available, um, which someone told me about. And it, it did work as soon as they were available. It started messaging me, but I already had one. So um wasn't problematic. But um, yeah, so I got mine. It's enjoyable. I will probably do what I always do, which is play The Legend of Zelda and then sell it. Um, (laughs) That is pretty much how I operate with Nintendo systems. Um, Sometimes I'll keep one. Like I have my DS. I like the DS. But uh, with kids and this thing having like a tablet screen, it's only a matter of time before it's just wrecked. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how long it'll last in the guy household. But uh, but anyway, so – Kind of moving on with this podcast episode, it was just kind of an unstructured conversation there. But <laughs> so after the last episode, uh, we sort of talked to, to kind of give some background information to anyone listening. Uh, and I had suggested maybe kind of changing up the format a little bit um, or lack of format or, or whatever, because it kind of felt like we we're maybe usually approaching the same topics over and over. And so we figured we'd play a game, an old game, and then come back and talk about it. And uh, why don't you tell us what game we ended up playing there? So we decided we were going to play a game, um, the same game Mm -hmm. uh, that we both have a a history with and compare notes as to whether or not uh, it felt the same or how it affected us now playing it uh, many years later. And so we chose Sid Meier's Pirates. 
And for myself, specifically, the first version I ever played was the original on the Commodore 64, published mm-hmm. in 1987 by Microprose. So that's the one I went out and I downloaded the emulator Vice 64. Um, very nice emulation system, works well in Windows 7 and 10. And so I had two systems uh, to test it on and it worked fine on my laptop. So that's the, the way I played it. If you have uh, like a controller, because I tried Vice, yeah. I could not get this thing to work. But the way I played it was on a what, 386 or 486, I don't remember now, the DOS game. And so that's how I ran it. So I ran it you as a... Pay, did you, was it Pirate's Gold? Is that the one that you played? You didn't uh, play it, the, the newer one that came out in like no, 2005. No, no, no. This, right, this right, right. is – so I was playing it on the Commodore 64 emulator now and the uh-huh. X, uh, the, the EXE, the DOS one. They're the same uh-huh. game verbatim. Okay. Uh, it still says okay. Pirates at the beginning. It's the, still the same right. graphics and whatnot. Um, the fall, no, because you got like EGA graphics or crappy well, colors Yeah, I did see uh, – <laughs> yeah, I think, think – I didn't do Tandy. I did the other one. I don't remember which one. But okay. yeah, so my colors are like purple and stuff as opposed to the yes. blue. Um, but everything else is the same. So my background is black as opposed to the blue of the Commodore 64 or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so I started playing it and, um, yeah, I don't quite remember it being this way. I mean, I I remember as I play it, I remember Uh it and, uh, and I have my own philosophies on it at this point, but, uh, I have to say before we kind of maybe get into it a little bit more that the storyline elements are so 1987. And so I, I just, so I remember, so I was playing earlier, actually I took a, a few screen caps because I was enjoying it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I have this here. Um, so what happened is I, I went to an English, so I was English. Um, uh-huh. And so here's a little backstory on my character. Uh, I am the Dread Pirate Jeff. Uh, and I'm an English buccaneer, uh, and I decided uh, that I was going to make uh, England great again by attacking Spain. And uh, so I have this, so I went into an English uh, town, and it says, I have recently had news of your long-lost sister, the governor says, the evil Spaniard, Admiral Gonzalez. Uh And it's just like, and his picture, he's got this little pencil mustache and his super (laughs) evil eyebrows and Uh stuff, and I'm like, yes, this is a 1987 (laughs) story. I love it. But uh, (laughs) who's your character? What'd you you, you do? Uh, So, uh... I remembered the very first time we discovered if you didn't enter a name, it gave you a name. And we thought it was so cool because it was like, it was so ethnic. Mm-hmm. When you hit just the enter key without entering a name, right. it gives you the name Incognito. <laughs> and being the smarter kid of my group of gamers, I said, oh, Incognito means unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're like, you're Mr. Unknown. Like, ooh, that's cool. So I just I just hit enter, and I was Mr. Incognito uh, through my adventures. But my history with pirates stems from the first time I discovered it on the Commodore 64. Then I played it on the Amiga. I loved it on the Amiga, especially since instead of the synthesized sounds, it was sampled sounds. <laughs> the so sounds were like, so bad. <laughs> the sounds are so, <laughs> I, like, back in the 80s, uh, my friend had a... Um, a stereo receiver that he hooked up his Commodore 64 to and these really tall, like three foot tall speakers. Uh-huh. I mean, to hear the eight bit sound of the waves and the wind through those speakers was like such like, oh, my God, that's so cool. That white noise <laughs> sound of the waves is that's so amazing. shrill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, I know when I played on the emulator, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it sounded like. But this is unbearable. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh 
I so I I loved it so much that I played it not only as a kid in junior high, but then when I rediscovered it in college, early college on an Amiga, mm-hmm. and then played it again as an adult uh, Pirates Gold, and then once uh, I had met Quinn, my who's now my wife, one of the games I introduced her to was. Uh, the new version of Pirates that was published like within the last 10 years, mm-hmm. it's forever ago. 3D graphics now. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, with 3D graphics and it was like, it, it changed significantly. But in my mind, it was just an enhanced version of what I had played before, not significantly different. So it was interesting to go all the way back to the Commodore 64 and actually say, no, what was it really like? Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, I love Pirates so much that every time we travel to the Caribbean, I have a printed out copy of the Pirates map that I bring wow. with me. And I check off another one of the cities or islands. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm finally here, you know, visiting, I don't know, you know, whatever, Barbados or, you know, Port Royal, wherever I happen to be. Sure. Be like, wow, I, I'm actually there now. And this is what it's really like. You know, Puerto Rico is... Totally not like it is in Pirates, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, and it's funny that you bring up the map. So that was – so I'm as I'm playing, I'm sitting here thinking, I really wish I had a map. I have mm. no idea where I am. <laughs> I'm on my seventh screen of blue water with nothing. <laughs> where the hell am I? And it's and I think – I don't know how, but I think somehow my map is upside down or whatever because the town I know is to the north. I went down to get to and west mm. was on the right of my screen. And so that I don't know what's true. up with that, but maybe it's so. Yeah, maybe we should give people some context because we're talking about a game that 1987 is 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Holy crap! So it's like, mostly uh, text with some really, really original. I will say original pixel art and stuff like that. I'm gonna yeah. post some pictures on the blog too uh, when I post this but episode. In my mind, it is one of the first. Um mega successful like as in it like when games became the thing that all the kids were doing not just the nerdy kids were mm-hmm. doing uh pirates was the first open world game that everybody wanted to play yeah before that there was like the seven cities of gold that was i think ea published back in the old days uh that was sort of pardon me uh, a bit like this but this one was way stronger in its gameplay mechanics to my mind, sure. uh, at least the way I thought about it back then. It's your and quintessential Sid Meier's game, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I played it forever. Yeah. And, and it, I got so good, yeah, you didn't need the map because you just knew where you were. Even though it's like seven screens worth of blue ocean, you knew exactly where you were. Mm-hmm. But the, So this is an open world game where it's just the Caribbean, you're free to sail from a top-down view, uh, looking down at your little ship that represents your fleet around the the. Uh, Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean seas and the islands and, and uh, along the coast of um, Northern coast of South America, Central America, all the way even, even Florida, the, the shores of Florida. And that, and that's about it. Uh, there's hidden treasure that you can try to find. There's uh, lost long lost family members. You can try to retrieve. There's a, a constant treasure fleet by the Spanish that is roving around. There's a silver train mm-hmm. that the Spanish also operate that you can try to find and, and raid. Um, there's And of course, all the towns that you can trade with or raid or bombard, however you, you want to go about doing it. So, so you, it was a really you cool want to know something sad? What? Um, and, and don't judge me. Uh-huh. No one's allowed to judge me. Geography never is not my strength. <laughs> I had no idea this was the Caribbean. And I'm going off my knowledge of England and France and Spain. Uh 
and I'm like, why the hell is Spain here? This isn't where Spain should be in relative oh. to England or France. And ah. uh, yeah. So okay. you just saying that now made a lot of things click. Okay. Yes, you are <laughs> looking at the colonies of those Engl- so of those the, European. The game powers. never tells you, right? And so I'm just like, okay, I'm just sailing around, and <sighs> I had. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm t- I'm introducing <laughs> you to Mike Guy, the Mike who pirated pirates. Because if you had bought the game, you would have seen that the cover has a map on it, and then. The game comes with the map of the Caribbean, and but it says I, the Golden I Age of Piracy. I did buy the game. That. that was just that was twenty two years ago. <laughs> I don't remember, but I may have known that at some point. But but now playing it, I had no I had no recollection of that. I did so buy where the, the hell did you think you were sailing? You thought well, you were like that was the English Channel or the Mediterranean? Or something? I thought I was just in the Atlantic Ocean. Like over in Europe, and that's why I'm like, where the hell is everything? Like I don't understand <laughs> what's going on. And I thought, okay, it's a video game. This is just extracted, right? We're just oh. simplifying reality because it's no, a game. No, no. And this uh, is like, oh no, this is like um, maybe maybe a hundred years. The game covers several eras of piracy. Right, mostly uh, in I played in 1660. Right? Yeah, 1660, the golden age of piracy. Yeah, um, but it's about a hundred years after. Columbus lands in what is now, I believe, Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so all these European powers are like, oh, there's land for grabs. And they go out well, and they I get the history of it. I just, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, That's why I, the Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're <laughs> yeah all I was like, place. why are the Dutch here? Like, what, what is happening right now? And I remember, I, so I actually had the thought a couple days ago when I was playing this. And I was like, because Sid Meier's type games, right? Sid, did mm-hmm. Sid Meier's work on the original Pirates? I know yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes. In fact, it was. In fact, his name was on it's the Sid, box. That's what I thought because that one and the new-ish remake are both called just Sid Meier's Pirates, which makes it really hard mm-hmm. to find one versus the other. But right. um, so anyway, I, so I'm playing this and I'm like, you know, for a Sid Meier's game, this isn't very accurate because Sid Meier's is known for mm-hmm. accuracy mm-hmm. and tedious detail and stuff like that. Right. And so really, it's just my bad. Uh, and I'm like, come on, Sid Myers, and really, it's just me being stupid. <laughs> you know, actually, Sid talks about that as like in a lot of his game development talks. Um, you know, there's this. He's learned a lot in Pirates. You can see some of the lessons. For example, when you're lost, seven screens worth of blue ocean, mm-hmm. and it's kind of frustrating. He designed a mechanism to help you out. It's called, um, I think, it's called sun sighting. So you yes. can hit the trigger at any point. And you can then uh, go to the last option. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's basically like a drop-down menu. And this is really odd. This is 1987 um, on a Commodore. We don't have the idea of a GUI. You know, it's all, it's like DOS. It's exactly. all, you know, you type in your commands. But here you have a cursor and it's a, it looks like a cutlass, a cutlass sword that mm-hmm. you can move down the menu and then can select things. It'd be a lot faster on a joystick just to, Treat it like a, a modern um, menu where you you hit the button sure. or you hit the D pad and it just goes down to the next option, right? But, but no, your joystick you actually have to, treats it like a mouse. Yeah, you have to drag it all the way down to the option you want, and then you have to hit the tr- trigger. You hit the last one, and it shows you this little window of the sun moving through the sky, peaking at noon, and then descending towards sunset. And then you have this weird little device that you can move um, laterally across the screen, and then raise it or lower it vertically to try to help you decide, ah, this is as high as the sun got at noon or some, 
something mm-hmm. like that. And therefore, I can tell where I am in latitude. It's like, what? Who wants to do that? Like, and it spends an entire day. So your crew consumes a, a day of food and you just sight the sun. He's like, no, come on. I'm just going to look at the map. I know the last time I left that three screens worth and you just basically memorize the map um, and you don't use the sun site ever. I never used that option. And I think Sid, you know, talks about that at some point mm-hmm. about being, I designed that so that I would have fun as a designer or that the computer could do something very clever, but it's not, it's not about the computer having fun. It's about the player having fun. Right. So in future versions, they take that out. You don't need it. And it's affected all of his, all of his game design thereafter, which is like, if it's more fun for the computer to do this, then it's not good for the player. Right. Um, and he does make some concessions to reality. For example, it's all about becoming filthy rich. Mm-hmm. So you can, you grab all the gold you can. Well, in this entire game, anything that you capture consumes tonnage, and your fleet only has so much uh, tonnage available. You know, based on the kinds of ships that you take. Mm-hmm. Do I take a large merchantman, or is it a large frigate, or am I taking like really sleek uh, sloops and pinnaces, um, or am I going to choose? You know, am I choosing something that is you know this bulky cargo flute from the Dutch that has lots of space but has you know no ability to man cannons and things like that. Um, but gold is basically weightless. No matter how much gold you acquire during your voyages, it never takes up any tonnage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a concession to like, well, because it's so valuable relative to its weight and the whole point of the game is to get rich. I don't want to make you feel that anxiety of like, oh, I had to sacrifice food and shorten the length of my voyage just because I want to keep on my filthy lucre. Right. Um, so I think that was a good compromise against reality so that the player could have fun. And yet in some other ways with sun sighting, it's like, what is this bullshit? I don't like this at all. Um, and it's not even necessary. And I loved the, uh, the DRM. I forgot the old game DRM. Oh, and this right, was this yes. way in Prince of Persia. It was in yeah. this and just, yeah. I mean, all these classic games where, you know, before the heyday of the internet, you mm-hmm. could put, passphrases in the instruction manual that's how i know yeah. I, I purchased it because if i didn't have it i couldn't have played uh-huh. um well i could have played i just would have been cursed but um <laughs> so the idea is that when you're starting uh as a, an indentured servant of the sugarcane fields uh the crew of what would be your ship basically says oh you want to be a pirate huh well then at what year, or in, in 1960 yeah. or whatever, or 1660, when when did the treasure fleet arrive in this city? And was it was it early or late in that month? And you have to look at the mm-hmm. the manual and be like, oh, it arrived in this month and it was early or late. And uh, if you didn't have the instruction manual, you wouldn't know the answer. Or you could make an exceptional guess, but more likely you'd be wrong. Uh, and then, you know, you could still play, but you'd be, quote, unquote, off to an unpromising start. Yes. Uh, the first captain would defeat you no matter what you did. And then you would have a very small ship and almost no crew. And the game would just beat on you. I mean, it was <laughs> it basically put you in, like, the super hardest difficulty. So you really wanted to have the instruction manual for that. And that, you know, and you could because people couldn't, like, share it online. That wasn't a thing. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the original DRM was pretty uh, pretty slick, a lot of fun. Right. It, to give people context, it, like in 1987, like you're lucky to have a 300 baud modem. Um, so that means, <laughs> mom, dad, get off the phone. I need to, I need to go download I need to some go codes. I use that group. Yeah. Right. If anybody even bothered, like you have to go find 
a small BBS bulletin board system where someone happened to enter it as a text file all the dates for in the manual mm-hmm. of, of pirates. Like, what are the chances? So no one ever did that. Um, but it was really in theme. Like, the manual was really thick. It was at least, oh, you know, uh, it was a volume. Right. And it wasn't just like this boring, you know, instruction manual. It was full of flavor text. It mm-hmm. was as if um, a seasoned uh, pirate were taking you under his wing and he was training you up. And it was like and that so, onion paper color and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was like, a, yeah, like all the, all the old Ultima games used to have the same kind of manual. So treatment. when I was playing, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play without the manual. I want to see if I can intuit the gameplay because uh-huh. that's a big thing for me can you intuit the uh-huh. gameplay and uh-huh. forgetting that old games no you can't um mm-hmm. and i got five minutes in i'm like oh man i need the manual and i had to go read <laughs> through like the manual like what am i doing like i don't <laughs> even remember that and and the manual is just the manual is a part of the game in these older yeah. games it's not this thing that you throw away or you leave in the cd case and or something as in now where there is no manual anymore it's like that like Back then, the manual was just as much a part of the game as the game itself. Right. I mean, the thing to remember about playing games um, back in even the late 80s when this game came out was that you're talking about a, a group of people who had to go out and spend a relatively large sum of money to, inherit, to, to put together a product that would give them nothing but technical problems. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no such thing as, well... I synced my phone and it's giving me this issue and I'm really bummed. It's like, no, we're talking like just plugging it in was a problem. Uh, getting the, the the drive to be hooked up properly and make mm-hmm. sure the heads were aligned. Um, it, it's load, quote, start, quote, eight comma one. Like it's like all these weird arcane. Yeah, the eight comma script. one drive. Yep. Yeah, like it's like it's all these weird arcane commands people who liked solve like oh what is a computer and how does it work and you know like those p- kind of puzzle solvers mm-hmm. are the who like to read textbooks um and would like liked being students nerds. those are the people that nerds <laughs> like to play games and that's the way so and nerds made games and yep. so the games were made for that audience and so that pi- that's one nerds. of the reasons why a game like pirates or the original Elite were games that I completely ate up because oh, of Elite. I dense. forgot Elite. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that'll be really our next dense. one. Yeah. Elite had this like really like, oh, they're, I mean, we're geek out, but you used to have overlays for your keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something else we can get into these old games where, uh, especially like Ultimas and things like that, where now that I know a little bit more about game development from a programming perspective, I can say like, oh, that's totally why it was designed this way. Maybe next well, episode key, we yeah. should do game peripherals through the ages, like add-on for those <laughs> four games. Because I'd love to yeah. talk about – I'd love to get your opinion on the Steel Battalion custom controller. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you remember that. The or original Xbox. That. The original Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, that I like love that game. Thing. So good. Uh-huh. Anyway. Well, anyways, like nowadays we're used to a controller with like – you know, four face buttons and two thumbsticks and two triggers, you know, that's about it. And you have context sensitive controls like, oh, if I hit the A button on my Xbox controller near a door, it knows I want to open the door. Right. It's become Whereas standardized. It, yeah. Right. In the in an old game, you would have O for open door, C for open chest. You know, like it was like mm-hmm. all these very specific separate commands for different verbs. But then another um, game, C was your character sheet. <laughs> and then I was your inventory. Yeah. And yeah. 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 So um, anyways, we're totally off on a tangent now. What were we talking about in terms of pirates? I don't remember. But here, so (laughs) I want to know, as I'm playing this, I'm thinking to myself, because you and I were were very different people. 
And I know how I play this game, but uh-huh. I want to hear about a typical Mike Wu run through of Sid Meier's okay. Pirates. I imagine, let's see, if I had to guess, uh-huh. uh, you're friendly to everybody. Uh, you decide not to pirate. Maybe it'd just be better to be like a consultant. Just work out your diff- differences. Right, because <laughs> you, know? you could trade, you could peacefully exactly. trade if you wanted I to, right? It. <laughs> but but no, but that would be the most boring a game of pirates ever. But I imagine um, you have like these strategies, and you plan your cities and your trips. And... So I yes, I generally will play either as the English or the mm-hmm. French because they have a few. Um, uh, um, what do, you, what do you call it? Uh, ports that are mostly focused on the uh, eastern side of the map, but there's um, uh, like Leogane and Tortuga. All those things are a little bit in the center for France, and then you have Port Royal further deeper in. So that makes those are great bases for raiding the Spanish. So I always raided the Spanish as my basic strategy. They were the richest and the most numerous, mm-hmm. and you could get promoted very quickly. Uh, with the English or the French, because they generally speaking during the age of piracy were at war with uh, with Spain. So they give people contacts who haven't played in a while. Um, if you just go and and pirate willy nilly, you're going to make enemies with every nation and not have any friendly ports to go to. So you generally speaking will want to pick one or two nations that you will stay on friendly terms with. And if you do so, as you pirate against their enemies they will reward you with title and land Mm -hmm. and so my strategy was like well the english have convenient ports and they're friendly i'll stay friendly with the dutch even if the english go to war with them because the dutch have really rich ports on the southern side of the map so i could raid the spanish and just dump my goods uh in the dutch town but my plan was always uh do some light piracy of ships to get a nice fleet of swift um uh boats and then stop by friendly ports and man up and get up maybe two to three hundred dudes and then it's go sack panama on land you go down to panama on land and just because it gets the silver train money and you get like a hundred thousand gold from that one raid and then you um basically run your crew into the ground until it's just a skeleton crew and you divide the plunder and each surviving pirate then has maximum gold and they leave really really happy and they spread word of how much gold they had the last time around and so when you reform up a group word has spread like man the last voyage that incognito had every uh, pirate came away with you know x pieces of gold so i want to man up with him and so they they just ask to join your crew and you can um, you can start a lot faster the next time around and then, you know, do the same thing. Get a big fleet because the size of your fleet determines how many guys you can have uh, in your crew. And then that number of crew is how big of a, uh, a, f- uh, a group of men you can field in battles. And I would always attack uh, these towns on foot and then uh, trick their cavalry to try to fight in the woods and things like that, you know, and basically <laughs> take them out. And then, so it was, for me, it was the end game was taking over towns and then uh, installing my own governors. Um, but that was the way to get the biggest money. I never really p- tried to pursue lost family members or treasures. It was, that was, just, or even the other pirates. It was just mm. um, inconsequential for me. It was about empire building, which is like, you know, I love Starcraft, right? It's about base building and yeah. making changing the map. So I always sought to, uh, this map is starting out Spanish, but by the end of the game, it'll be English or it'll be French or whatever. There you go. 
That's my typical game. Let me guess Mike Geig's <laughs> typical. All right. He's going to go to the governors. The governor is going to say, this is what I want. We're at war with the Spanish. We're friendly with the French. And Mike's going to say, I don't really give a shit. Uh, what can I get out of the tavern? Okay, thanks. And then I know all the ships kind of hang out around the port. So I'm just going to keep sailing around the port. Do, 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 do. Oh, here's a ship. I'm going to attack it. I'm going to attack it. I'm going to attack it. And you basically sneak into towns in order to resupply if you need it, need to at all. Or you go to Indian settlements or whatever to... Um, to resupply or fix your ships, but you really don't have friends or foes. You just, you, nobody's a friend of a pirate, uh, Jeff. <laughs> that's that's surprisingly right? accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I'm, so I do play with the English and, mm-hmm. uh, I'm usually Jeff, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, like the idea of dread pirate Jeff, <laughs> but, uh, so if I, if I'm English, I generally don't attack English ships cause I do like a port, but everything else you're completely accurate about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go for big ships and I don't go for more than one ship. It's a sloop mm. every time. Um, I don't bother with naval warfare. I, I sail directly into an enemy boat and I kill their captain. Every oh, time. Master really? Fencer. Uh, okay. Doesn't matter how many cannons you have. If I defeat your captain, I win. And so, so do you pick gunnery as your specialty? I pick fencing as my specialty. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, fencing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. I, I always do uh, gunnery or uh, navigation. Yep. So I, I play for the quick, decisive strike. Oh. Uh, and if you ever like, so if you ever play tabletop war games with me or whatever, uh-huh. that's what uh-huh. the quick, decisive strike every time. Ah, uh, see, I don't engage in I battle love... until I'm until I end battle. I don't. Oh, I love the dance of the ships going around and around and trying to choose whether or not to how to tack into the wind nope. or against the wind and I circle do, around. I do and full sails directly into the enemy ship. <laughs> they can never lock really? onto you because you're moving too fast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If and they, then you just and then you just well you get like a cutlass and go and, and hack really hard against the pirate a rapier uh, against the, the rapier. Okay. Quick okay. decisive strikes. Needle them and to then, death. And then get them to surrender right away. Yep. I see. And then I take no surrender. Uh, I don't even take <laughs> their ship. I plunder it and sink it every time. Well, see, and that's the reason why why gold has to be weightless because it has to allow someone to say, "I just want my sloop and all the gold I can get." Yes. I need as many. Like I'll have like. Four sloops, a pinnace, and one frigate in my fleet. The nice. frigate's mostly just in case I need to take on the treasure fleet uh, or I need to get like 200 dudes in a boat so that I can go take Panama. And that's – so I loved having the big fleet. And then, then you have to watch out for the shoals. So like on the map, there are these shallow areas mm-hmm. that if you have a deep enough – a boat with deep enough draft, it's at risk of being uh, – running aground and being damaged. So yeah, I didn't even of, know that was a thing because I never have a big ship. Oh, Pretty yeah, much. that's totally a thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, when the windstorms would come up, you're like, ah, crap. I'm Why do I have to try to come into these shallow waters? You know, it's because I was trying to land port, but then a storm came. And, and so that, in that sense, it was kind of fun. But uh, <laughs> no, and yeah. you know, so yeah. And basically, I'll, I'll attack military bases. I don't really care. Um, uh-huh. Sometimes I'll try to come in directly against their cannon fire if the wind is good. Otherwise, I go via land and uh, I don't sneak in. I just scale the walls. Um, mm-hmm. I still, you know, m- my favorite time is when uh, Dread Pirate Jeff and uh, 10 shaken men took on a fortified <laughs> garrison because yeah, I was yeah. just that much better of a fencer. Yeah. And so they had like 120 men. I had yeah. 10. And it, nope, just slam, slam, slam. You surrender. I took a fort. That's interesting because, yes, you are a much more action-oriented gamer. So yes. I can see how that – whereas like – if I was under, so the way the game works is, um, 
your men have morale based off of your reputation and the relative scale of their, your force versus the enemy force. Mm-hmm. So if there's like a four to one odds against you, your dudes start out scared. And so and every they, hit, every hit. Yeah. So, if, yeah, if you have four to one odds, so your opponent is has much higher odds. Every time they hit you, it damages you a lot more than one of your hits. You have to really sway battle in your favor, right? Before right. your hits you start to, mattering, you have to basically fence perfectly in that in that scenario. So while you're fencing, your men in the background, they're just represented as numbers, mm-hmm. um, are also fighting. You hear the booms, a boom, 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 and, and slashes, and you, you. So your mind extrapolates. Oh, my guys are off in the distance or below me fighting, um, and they're looking to me to provide leadership but because they're so shaken if i get struck they freak out mm-hmm. and so that which will force me to surrender yeah basically um, i mean it breaks down into numbers right the, the yeah use. and i couldn't really i didn't want to take that risk it was too chancy i'd rather slog it out in a land battle and trick you know even if i had inferior numbers knowing how to use the landscape to my advantage to uh like basically make it so that their cavalry was useless yeah um or that they're a nat- they'd have native supporters that would come out and like find a way to neutralize them really quickly, and then always make a mad dash for the um, city wall gates. So yeah. trick the trick them to come out, and then you make a mad dash for the city gates, and then yeah, once you're in, you're in, and you win. Now um, that's I'm not going to lie, Dread Pirate uh-huh. Jeff has spent his fair share of time in the jails. So <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to yeah. not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, <laughs> but so this will segue works, into awesome. one. Yeah, one of the things that I was like, I can't believe I used to play these games. So when I was a kid, I couldn't stand being stranded or going to jail because it, it reduced your chance to have like a glorious end score. Mm-hmm. So my friends and I, we would, oh, time to reboot. Right. And we would restart the game. That means you have to actually pop out the disc, re, you know, power down and power back on the machine, mm-hmm. flip the disc over and you know, load star. Now remind me, because it's been a long time since I've used an actual Commodore 64. Uh Were they five and a quarters? Were they, what were the discs for that? They were were truly floppy as in flexible. No more than it. Like I would say maybe, Oh, even slimmer than an eighth of an inch. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people, they don't realize why they're called hard disks. A lot of people used to yeah. call hard disks the old, uh, well, not five, the five and a quarters of the three and a half. Three and a half. The three and they would say, well, this one's hard. It's a hard disk. And it's, no, that's still a floppy disk. Right. Because what the media inside mm-hmm. is tape. flexible. Yep. Yeah. It's a flexible, a brownish uh, magnetic material. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in the five and a quarter uh, inch format, yeah, it was about a hundred something K. And it had that, that latch. That would lock yes. the diskette in yep. there. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and then you make a lot of noise, and you were loading for five minutes. Yeah, at least. So the Commodore, the Commodore emulator did a really good job of emulating that super long load time, uh-huh. and I, I spent maybe a half hour going, "Why isn't this working? Why isn't this working?" Because back then you could hear the drive, yes, and so exactly. you knew it was doing something. But now yes. you're like, is it frozen? Like what happened? Yep. You know, right. is it what's yep. it doing? Yep. And so I just uh, figured I couldn't find the right button when really it was just the Commodore 64 emulators emulated so well that even these really <laughs> right. long loading times, uh-huh. it's almost insufferable. That's why I went. That's why I was like, screw this. Do you know back why to the, Commodore 64 took so long to load their software? It's a bug. 
there's a bug, a physical bug programmed into all the drives, I believe, of that. Like the, I think there were like 1541s was their model number or something. Oh, okay. And so the, a games company um, called Epics, they made some really good games called like World Games, California Games, mm-hmm. uh, Summer Games, things like that. They also had a cartridge called Fastload. So mm. if you're willing to sacrifice the cartridge port on a Commodore 64, it corrected the bug. So oh. the drives actually got to load at their their real speed. <laughs> right. It, it seemed like there was it a just, limitation of like uh, what was it? Um, it was the like the the byte stripping. It was it was reading <laughs> chunks that were too big. So like imagine being able to hold two chunks perfectly. You know, at a time, this one could only hold one and not enough space left for the second or whatever, which slowed it right, down effectively right. by half or something yep. like that. Because yeah. even on the um, – I remember this. Even on the uh, on the DOS version, you had to run a, um, um, a fixed load that would correct it to the 64-byte stripping or whatever that would allow it to read at, at full pace. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's Anyways, what you mean by to... only nerds played with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had to have so much patience to say like, oh, I don't want my character to spend three months in jail. So I will spend the next seven to eight minutes of my life reloading the game mm-hmm. from the last save point to avoid that and then go back to resuming my my, my mission. On a second playthrough uh, recently, um, I hooked up my controller and I actually did much worse as I started my career, because I started at Port Royale, not on the on the eastern side of the map, so I didn't have a lot of friendly ports. I was not finding any Spanish ships, and my crew started to starve and abandon me. I was like, "Crap! I just want to start over," and there's no option to start over. Mm-mm. You just have to have, your your game just has to grind to a halt, and you cannot proceed any further because no one will join up with you. And then the game says, "Your career has come to an end. Here's your score. Do you want to start again?" Only then do you get to restart. Otherwise, well, you, can you have reboot to reboot the, the machine. Yeah, but then you're doing that. Well, yeah, then you're doing the weight, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, holy cow, how often did I put up with this? Like, a lot, because I got good at the game, and I I remember (laughs) doing that. It's like, I would not do that now. Hell no. Um, So load times was the one thing. The amount of technical uh, uh, problem solving that would go on. And this brought me to another interesting observation about the game, the way that it's different from what I would expect the game to have now is how much, like you were saying, how much text there is on the screen. Well, so that, I think that, so so what year would you say you played this game? Uh, definitely when it came out, 1987. So, so that's what I was thinking about as I was playing this. And then, you know, before we started mm-hmm. uh, the podcast tonight is that you played this in, in 1987. I played yeah. this mm-hmm. in 1996. Right. Oh, so mm-hmm. nine years later. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Nine years. Jeez. All right. Uh, nine years later. And we were playing it recently to prepare for this. And it's still uh-huh. really fun. Oh, and yeah. I, it's I think definitely it's because fun. It's of the slow. text. It's text. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. there's no bad graphics with text. Really. Right. So and yeah. the text is written in such a way as flavor. Like it's it's always um, told in a tone that. um kind of evokes uh the uh the time and place the setting the characters it's D um, text yeah well it reminds me of like uh the computer is a narrator as in like a storyteller mm-hmm. or uh a book 
would be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Whereas games now are very cinematic and they try to show me things um, and the and the console or the PC is trying to be a movie. Whereas well, this is trying to be a book. So you hit upon um, an interesting idea uh-huh. there too. So the the evolution of the term narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are used to the term narrative meaning a book. The book is a narrative. I'm being told mm-hmm. a story. And yeah. these older games were narratives. I'm being told a story. But in, in modern gaming, the term narrative refers to my gameplay experience. I craft mm-hmm. my narrative. Mm-hmm. So we could right. play the exact same game but have different narratives based on what we got out of it. And But would you, you say Pirates is a perfect example of a game that does that? Both well, it, things, but, right? But, it, but it's also it's – an, it's an old term narrative, uh-huh. right? Because mm-hmm. it's so texty and it's telling you yeah. and with flavorful. But it's yeah. also, you know – it, it's also, yeah, I mean, it's also about right. the gameplay Je- experience. Jeff's game playthrough is completely different from in- Incognito. But I don't necessarily but, mean about agency. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. if we played the exact same game with the exact same sequence, the exact okay. same way, you and uh-huh. I would still take something different out of it, right? Uh-huh. So if we think of a game that's purely linear, with no branching, no real choices, uh-huh. uh, let's let's take a, a FIFA, right? It's a soccer uh-huh. game, right? We still yeah. have a narrative. A narrative is our experience. And uh, and our narratives will still be different, right? That's the new term narrative. But the old narrative refers to books and stories and, and games like this where it is a story being told to us and we're interacting with it. It's just interesting. As you're saying, the games are getting more cinematic. Uh-huh. That's true, and the term for narrative in games has also changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, And I find part of me, again, coming from the generation that liked reading these dense uh, computer use manuals, Mm -hmm. missing the flavor text because it really put me in the mindset of a personality or a character that I wouldn't have had access to as a junior high student. You know, the manual, for example, is written in the voice of an old pirate, someone whom I would never have met or have not even that many films at that time. There were no Pirates of the Caribbean right. movies um, to kind of feel for pirates. The pirates, the game was how I discovered pirates, period. Mm-hmm. And it was through that manual. Like, I oh, believe wow, it was the... pirates exclamation mark. Yes, exclamation mark <laughs> uh, point. Yep. Um, so anyways, yeah, uh, I, I do miss that. One thing I don't miss, though, was the... It totally worked for me as a gameplay mechanic and as a fantasy, as a junior high male player, the casual sexism in the way women are portrayed in the game. Because they only appear once. Mm-hmm. And that's as daughters of a governor. Or your sister who has been kidnapped by or who's been kidnapped, the evil yeah, Admiral I, I Gonzalez. I never bothered to rescue her, so I never met her in, in the Commodore 64 version, really. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I think your mother may have also been kidnapped as well, but you never really—they don't exist as like a screen element. You did—they just say e- you just—you know—it's a silhouette of you know two family members embracing, but it's the same as if it's your uncle and it's your aunt or whoever sure. that you happen to, to rescue. Um, but at least that's the way my memory serves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, in the main gameplay, you go to the governor's mansion. He would say, "Oh, thank you for this. Thank you for that." And if you are of high enough stature. Um, you would uh, be introduced to the governor's daughter. Well, he'll always introduce you to his daughter, but you can either politely converse or straight up propose marriage. Those are your options. <laughs> and if you have a high enough stature, she'll yeah. accept her proposal. Right. And I, if I recall um, correctly, you can have as many of those marriages as you'd like. Uh, you can have as many of uh, women um, be so um, swayed by your charisma and your manner that they will give you information. So you have as many girlfriends, I guess, mm-hmm. as you want uh, in this 
in the game, but you can only be married once. And the hmm. wife is described at the end of the game. Um, oh, okay. So this is where the sexism part comes in. It's whether or not the uh, female character uh, will respond positively to your character is based solely on, on your wealth. status yeah. with her kingdom. Like if she's British, it's like your stature amongst the British will determine. <laughs> so your achievements is what uh, influence, influences her. Her value to your score, though, is based on how attractive she is. <laughs> so in one portrait, she is uh, the daughter is portrayed as like a very Catholic, you know, all, you know, clothing all the way up to her neck, very uh, skinny, shrew-like character, you know, with dark circles under her eyes. They can like, be pretty Catholics. You don't have to be like that. <laughs> well, they're all, they almost all are portrayed as Catholic, right? It's just for Spanish. I don't even know how you would tell with this amazing then there was, art. Then there's, a, then there's like the plantation uh, daughter. She's in a big, you know, flowy uh, gown. Sun-kissed skin. Uh, kind of thing. Uh, not even less. She's very pale, you know, whatever. And she's considered, you know, uh, quite a beauty. And then there's the um, alluring creature who is this tanned, wavy haired, exotic looking character. Um, and she's of the, um, and she gives you the best status. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to have the highest status yourself <laughs> in order to uh, win her over. So um, that was to, upon replaying it was like, that's kind of a weird way to put like, I, so I get it. Like maybe if the woman thinks she's high fashion and she's really, um, she has she places a great deal of value on herself because her father or her family is very important. I get it. It fits in the historical context that she would require you to be a more glamorous suitor, but that's not really how it comes off in the game. It's really like you're an object and you have a relative value based on how pretty you are. And if I want the maximum score, I'm going to hold out for the prettiest girl. Mm-hmm. But that's all that you are. So it's like, oh, the one time that they really have these characters, and it's so shallow. But like, there's on, a lot Sid of shallow Myers. things in the game. Yeah. We don't need but, that. You know, there are a lot of things like the, where they, they simplify things. It's like, okay, maybe that's historically accurate that daughters were buried off. In, well, in that's such true. A way and, yes. I mean, that know. is fairly historically accurate. Not, but, yeah. Right. But of all the fantasies for like my sister, like this is a, also one of the games that my sisters didn't play with me. It's because there's no real room for that. Like the Ultimas they played because you'd be a male or fe- female characters and mm. it didn't matter. Like, you know, uh, but. This one's like, well, it's strictly a male fantasy. Like, I'm not really interested in hitting on these girls or whatever. It doesn't do it for me. Um, um, but um, anyways, there are a lot of things that they kind of gloss. Like, there's no mention of how poorly treated the, the natives are in the game. Really. <laughs> right. But they do appear They do appear in the game as troops. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize uh, they've been pressed into service. Right, know? exactly. Or where are all the plantation, like the sugar that I'm trading here? How are you getting that sugar? There's no mention of slavery. There's nothing. Well, like there is. No you start the game ship. as a slave. Well, as a as an as an indentured servant. Well, you, it's an indentured white, servant, but your debt only grows. Um, yeah, your debt only grows, but you're still you voluntarily. That's a completely different scenario. Certainly, certainly, right? You're yeah, an indentured so, servant who finds out that they're actually a slave at this point. <laughs> right. Well, that yeah, that they. But and you're able. You have agency. You can struggle out of that. But the, mm-hmm. you know, so they gloss over certain things to make it a more. Yeah, they wouldn't want to start package. with the horrors of reality. Right, right. Exactly. And, and I get that. I get it's just a game, right? It's <laughs> supposed to but you know, as a kid, it did give me the very Pirates of the Caribbean like glamour, like, oh, pirates were these really um self-starting um entrepreneurial real go-getters. <laughs> yeah, real go-getters. I didn't come away with an then as I got older and I was still interested in pirates, of course, because my 
and I read about what they would do, and I'm like, holy crap, this you was know, an awful period in history. Interestingly enough, so the most successful pirate in history was a female. The there's actually one she's and she's not even from the Caribbean. No, she's she, Chinese. About, assume. Yeah, she's the pirate, yeah, she, the Chinese pirate queen. I, I don't remember her name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. I don't remember her name either, but yeah, it was a fleet of thousands of mm-hmm. ships that answered. She ran a small pirate country. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> oh, good times, pirates. I tell you what. Yeah. So okay, what else did you uh note about your playthrough that changed for you since you played it as a kid? <sighs> well, you know, fencing was harder. Um, because I, I guess what I, what I got into as a kid was this flow where I was like this amazing yeah. at it. And as an adult, yeah. I guess I'm trying to like, I don't know if I'm trying to remember it or I'm trying to figure it out, but it's really kind of nonsensical, right? So you just sort of have to <laughs> go with same, it. You just yeah. sort of have to press right. and right. parrying is a fool's game. You just need to attack <laughs> because right. you're fast enough weapon. You'll always interrupt your opponent's attack and you can never parry accurately because you never quite see how they're going to swing until it's too late. Right. Um, so that, yeah, that took me a while to get back into because I'm like, what right. am I doing? And this is making no sense. Right. Um, the on-screen movement and animation was one the frames were jerky enough that it wasn't like a smooth presentation. Well, that was back when the things, animations yeah. were handled with lines of code. Now draw this right. pixel, now draw that pixel, right. and just these matrices right. of yeah. – Or I guess the, that's back when – before bitmaps, back when you had maps um, of bits. Commodore 64 had sprites, I No, believe. no, no. That's what I'm saying though. But what I'm yeah. saying is they were, they were truly the maps of bits, oh, right? Oh, right. Yes. So yes. they were literally two-dimensional, probably even one-dimensional arrays of bits – and it was like they used that to be their yeah. animations uh-huh. and stuff like yeah. that uh, before modern formats and controllers right. and things like that. Um, so yeah, it was really hard to read your. Uh, it was hard to read your own actions. Like, did it yes. did it register that input? Am I about to attack? Like, what's happening? Yes. Um, yeah. So that's actually it's funny. I wrote imprecise controls slash slow. Like, if it was faster, it would be easier. Right. right. In fact, that I found that I doubled the uh, emulation speed when during the sword fights, so it'd feel more natural. Mm-hmm. Because it's really weird to watch your sword stroke occur like two full seconds after you made the button press, and mm-hmm. then watch the animation unfold in this slow pace. But that was the flow that you were talking about that we got into as kids. We figured that out. But now it doesn't make any sense. Like, wait, if I hit the button, I want the animation to start. And I should like, and I should be able to interrupt it with a, you know, by changing, but no, you can't. No, it's like, you lock it in. So it was very different. Yeah. It's very different watch it happen. experience. Yep. Um, you don't even know when you locked it in. Right. So <laughs> for me, yeah. And so you, it becomes all about, and the game, so the gameplay is generally slow. You watch the enemy craft when you're doing a cannon fight, slowly start to turn one yes. way or the other, and you anticipate that. You watch the tell from the opposing captain when he's about to slash high or if he's going to do a quick mm-hmm. jab blow or whatever, and you have plenty of time to adjust to that. So it's all about anticipating um, what the uh, computer characters are trying to do, and then you get to thwart that, and you have plenty of time to, to do that. You know, um, one thing I did... Uh I did feel that I was better at as an adult. I don't uh-huh. know if it's because I didn't notice as a kid or whatever, but using the wind to your advantage, right? So yes. especially because, uh-huh. you know, my tactic, I don't want to get into broadsides with anybody because why damage my ship while damaging uh-huh. yours? Both of these are valuable. I right. don't want to damage either of them. I want them to come uh-huh. away with a pristine ship on both sides. But right. uh, So I, I, you need to figure out 
your wind angles so that you can outrun their cannonballs, right? Because if you're you're if you're clacking to a wind level three, it doesn't matter. They're just going to start wailing on you as you're approaching. So you need to get to like seven or eight, and then they can't hit you if their life depended on it. And then it's easy pickings, right? Especially right. with a smaller ship, you know. And so like that wind level is super important when dealing. Yep. When, when you, I guess, when you play like I play, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, they even mention it in the manual. But these ships are best with the wind in this direction relative to the sails. Mm-hmm. And so you learn that like sloop is pretty straightforward. If it's directly behind me, I'm going fast. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to say, oh, where's the wind direction? Great. I'm just going to point opposite of it and or with it, and I'm going to go as fast as my well. Boat sloops can go. also do really good with crosswind. So if it's yeah, if it's, yeah, right. if it's perpendicular to you, right. then right. yeah, then you're going to do yeah. all right. And if it's behind right. you, you're yep. going to fly. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, but otherwise it, it was an enjoyable kind of nostalgia. But here, so it reminds me of this. Play, oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, well, I'll let you finish your point. I was going to ask you if you played anything else around Pirates, like other games that you played around the same time, because I did do that as well, because I was just on this nostalgia trip. So. No, so I, 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 well, recently I've been playing through a bunch of NES and SNES because okay. I, I built a RetroPie uh, emulator system and whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, with GDC and stuff, I only really had a chance to play this one. Play Pirates. Um, okay. But yeah. I knew, what were you going to say before? So this is going to kind of take us off a tangent, but I, I want to uh-huh. put in a big recommendation right now for you, for anyone listening who uh-huh. likes these types of games. Have you ever heard of the game called Star Traders RPG? Star Traders RPG? No, I don't All right. think so. I'm about to ruin your life. Okay. Um, this game is madly addicting. So, and, okay. th- and this goes, this is a big shout out to, the, the, so there's this team of brothers. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe they're the the Treese brothers. And I'm looking at it now. Okay. Yes, they're the Treese brothers. They make all these games. The art is okay. Right, because right. um, you know there's a, they, but they have a whole bunch of these games, but the the level of detail that goes in these games would all I, I would argue would put Sid Meier's to shame, and so this really? is basically pirates but in space. You have the factions, you're going planet to planet, you build your ship, you build your crew, you trade ships, you upgrade your ships. There's trading. Oh, there's a shortage of this and this planet and this and that. Or I, you know what? I'm just gonna be a straight pirate. Better yet, I'm gonna be a bounty hunter. And when people put bounties on pirates, I'm gonna go hunt them down. I'm going to specialize my ship for that. Or I'm going to be a political assassin. Or uh, I'm going to be a military commander. I'm going to sit in space above an enemy planet and just bombard them and then prevent anyone from leaving. Trade embargoes and spying. And Dude, it's insane. And it's it's, it's mobile. (laughs) Right, mm-hmm. uh, it's free. Okay. I mean, you can you can buy the elite version, which unlocks additional features, whatever. But it's like four bucks. It, it's it's not like a micro a big microtransaction game, okay. uh, and there's not advertisements or something like that. And it's just wildly fun. And it like yeah, you get into it and you pick your faction, and then like I still yeah, I still pick the same faction every single time. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. And then at, you know, it, it's one of those things where. You're kind of racing the clock a little bit. I play through a whole bunch of times. Every time you start, everything's different. It's a different playthrough every time. And then at mm-hmm. some point, aliens start appearing and stuff like that. It's it's really good. Uh, I backed uh, Star, Tra- Star Trader RPG 2 on uh, Kickstarter, and that's been well underway. But, okay. uh, but yeah, it, it's, it and it's very text-based, so it really holds up, you know? Okay. Um, so there you go. That's my big plug for a game that I, I find myself coming back to it. Now that I'm playing Pirates, I'm really mm-hmm. just thinking to myself the whole time, I want to go play Star Traders RPG because that's Pirates on a just a massively different scale. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it's so, but it also sounds like maybe because it's on a modern platform, it takes care of the problems of load times. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely, the, absolutely. The 
the context and features of the narrative, for example, are not so 1980s, um, but still very appealing. You know, the funny uh, thing is, though, that it feels very retro, the storyline okay. and these big these big noble characters and stuff like uh-huh. that, like, like yes, take this message for me to whatever. Now be yeah. gone. You know, just a big, <laughs> like, kind of, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, and then you, like, and every city has, um, it's got your, like, your scummy bar where you can pick up kind of the low lifey folks. But then it's uh-huh. also got, like, the the nobles region where you can, you know, that's where you pick up, like, officers and things like that. Uh-huh. I don't know, it's really cool. It's just. Uh, okay. It really does sound like it was inspired by pirates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I okay. imagine. I mean, it, it's inspired by a lot of games like that, okay. you know. Okay. And uh, it is neat. Like, the combat in that is, like, if you're chasing someone down anyway, you can you choose to try to get closer to them. You get in certain rage, you hit them with missiles get closer you burn them out with lasers and stuff like that and there's boarding parties and stuff it's really cool definitely worth checking out so sounds good i will yeah and then i'm curious to see what faction you pick okay i'll let you know because <laughs> i have i have strong loyalties <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh yeah um so yeah well uh, we're kind of at our time here after geeking out on, on pirates and, and other stuff but uh, we'll have to come up with the game we're going to play next. Um, and for anyone listening, if you have suggestions, we're open for them. I think we're going to stick to more retro. So I don't want to do anything, I want to say, older than PlayStation 1. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it's harder to find emulators that will run older than PlayStation 1 games. And I don't want to go out and have to buy like a PlayStation 2 just to mm-hmm. play a retro game right. or whatever. Um Unless it happens to be a game we, we both have or, or whatever. But uh but yeah, but otherwise, you know, I'm I'm up for kind of whatever. I've got a few ideas poking around in my head as well. Uh, I had told you like it'd be cool to play one of the old click to move games and stuff like that. And uh like the King's Quest or Quest for Glory, whatever, uh games and uh oh, and I've got a, I've got well, first of all, I have a great fondness for the old um graphic adventure games of uh of yours, especially since my first computer was an Apple II. And so Sierra online games, graphic adventures were the big thing that we yeah. had. It was the first software I ever bought. It was like, holy cow, it was like 40 bucks. Sierra back in games were, yeah. That was uh, Quest for, for the, Glory with Sierra as well. Yeah, yeah. But I my first purchase, video game purchase, was um, High Res Adventure number six, The Dark Crystal. And mm. the manual for that thing was so beautiful. Anything like the it movie, so The Dark beautiful. Crystal? It, it was, in fact, based on the movie. Oh, um, neat. Okay. And back then, this was, this was the entertainment. You'd watch the static graphics draw onto the screen. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, with literally instructions to the screen. It would be like lying from this uh, grid position on the screen to this pixel yep. grid position on screen. Row by row, single buffer, yep. a single buffer graphics. And you'd watch, and then watching the fill, is slowly filling in solid areas with a dithered pattern to try to emulate a color gray because mm-hmm. there was no gray on an Apple II. So, I mean, it was just like, <laughs> I mean, crazy what we used to think was amazing. But um, uh, so, yeah, if you wanted to play an old graphic adventure and then see like, well, how does this translate? Um, I don't know if he did a great job actually talking about how the old pirates... Um, is different from the my expectations of a game now, or other than like, well, that was weird load times, or that was weird. But you know, you know? I think we did do a good job of that because the okay. fact of the matter is, is we really enjoyed it, right? <laughs> it, uh, we enjoyed it because we remembered doing it in the past. If, but it's not even that. I really enjoyed it because com- it was fun. Uh, it, well, to us, I'm saying yeah. take 
take your sons, put them down in front of it and see if they can tolerate it. I think they would be like, dad, I am not putting up with this. This is crazy town. I don't know. See, well, it depends. I, maybe there's a certain age range, uh-huh. uh, but I think they would still get a real big kick out of it because they're – well, first the off – The load uh, times <laughs> alone would kill if, – if the I think well, if you play on if you play on the uh, if you play the uh, the DOS version, the load, there are no load times. Okay, um, so which is okay, which is why I, I switched from trying to get the Commodore sixty four emulator to work because I'm like, screw this, <laughs> I can play this game four times in the same amount of time. But uh, but I don't think my kids are old enough to have a strong understanding of game design, modern game mm-hmm. design. To know they wouldn't know these are bad graphics. That's true. They That's wouldn't true. know these are different designs. So uh-huh. maybe older kids, I'd say maybe take a, a preteen or a teenager and get them to play uh-huh. it, and they may not have so much fun. But then again, I don't know. I still think it's super fun. I think it would be super fun. I mean, sure, there are pain points, obviously, but uh, it may not have the longevity of a modern game. Right. I think they get tired for of it me, sooner. Yeah. For me, the part that translated the best was um, – not necessarily the text presentation because sometimes it was quite garish. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, like um, anything that reference, referenced a British uh, or an English uh, port would be in red. Anything you know in a Dutch would be orange. Right. Like, so your paragraph of text is all these different colors. Um, but uh, but that flavor text, like you come to a lovely, quiet, you know, or the town, like maybe a town mm-hmm. was just attacked. You know, the somber town, of the, and you like really kind of brought up the the mood of the area even though it's the same graphic presented to you time and time again the cha- the change in text was enough to uh, give it that sense of like i was using the old sense of the word narrative um, mm-hmm. that i wouldn't have had as a 12 year old kid along with the known, flourish of right. a little tinny audio yeah yes <laughs> yeah um so uh, that's that still works uh, that old trick of text still works and but it's something that's not done very often in games nowadays um and, and text is timeless right yeah it, it yeah. outlasts graphics yeah 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 but it's it needs to be localized um sure and it is a and people talk about the show me don't tell me um but in this in some ways i think the old storytelling still works yeah yeah, I guess it really it depends on what you're going in for and stuff like that. I suppose if I was in the mood for a faster game, this wouldn't hold up. But, but yeah, I don't know. It, I still think we did a good job talking about it. Congratulations okay. to us. I'm not going to let you naysay me. I feel <laughs> too good what, about it. You know, what we didn't do is remember that which episode we're on. I That's know. We, were, we, we already started off wrong. Don't bring the ship down anymore. <laughs> this, this podcast is a sloop and you just can't catch me. All right. So you're in this big, heavy frigate and I'm just, yeah. I'm just sailing. Yeah. I'm just rolling. <laughs> I got five crew members and 60 tons of food. You can't catch me. <laughs> well, I, I say we just flip the disc and reboot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, so this has been, uh, what, Mike's Video Game Podcast Episode 20. Yes. yes. 20. Fool's Gold. The Fool's Gold, Gold Edition. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. And uh, keep on slooping. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was your ship of choice? It was a sloop, for sure. Oh, well, there you go. So you have to make a sloop yeah. joke now, and we'll end with that. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, sloop joke. Uh, uh, don't tack into the wind. <laughs> that, was that was so what bad. The fuck? <laughs> well, that was tacky. <laughs> oh God! All right, we're ending it now. That was. Right, we're that. in puns now. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. Let's get. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>